Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. A wise man once said, some days you're the windshield and some days you're the bug. Well, uh, the Mets on a muggy Tuesday night were a splattered mosquito on Atlanta's car and it sets up a big next couple games now against one of the teams that's chasing him. The division race is getting tighter and Leon's getting larger. Sorry, airplane was on last night. Podcast starting now. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning, oh yeah, Mets in the morning, gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now, here's Josh Lewin, a scoodily down. Final from Tuesday, 12-5, the Braves back to within four, no huge trades to tell you about quite yet, we've hit your ears with better opening segments, that's for sure. Josh Lewin with you, yes, on the pod today, a review of a forgettable night at City Field. We'll have a look at the rest of the series, a breakdown of those pesky Braves, a look under the hood of Michael Conforto, who's been flirting with the old Mendoza line this summer, and finally, the latest on the trade deadline, which is coming in hot in the rearview mirror. So, Tuesday night was the anniversary of the Mercury Mets promotion from back in 1999. I know it's not a national holiday or anything. If Google doesn't change its logo for it, it is not really a holiday. That is my policy. But the Mercury Mets jerseys were supposedly a representation of what the Mets would be wearing in the way off future, in the year of 2021. (laughs) Well, turns out Century 21, the sponsor, was not on point with their sartorial predictions for 2021. No space boots or flying cars yet either, by the way. The Mets were out there wearing regular pinstripes up against veteran righty Charlie Morton, looking to win his fifth straight decision, go to 10-3 for the year. For the Mets, Jared Eikhoff to the mound, summoned back up from Syracuse. They just can't quit each other, can they? Eikhoff and the Mets. Eikhoff just declared free agency and was like Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy on the office. I declare bankruptcy! And it turns out that's not the real thing. That's not how that works. The Mets needed a starter. Eikhoff needed a gig. So the two sides reunited. It's like an old Lionel Richie ballad or something. I picture Eikhoff waiting in a windowsill, watching it rain, staring at the phone and hoping it'll ring. Uh, Eikhoff did battle best he could, but look, there was a reason he was DFA'd in the first place. And this basically was a battle of two curveball guys, Eikhoff and Morton. And early on, it was a lesson in what happens when one guy can throw that pitch for a strike and the other one can't. Morden did, and did it well. Eikhoff did not, and he got clocked. Uh, The other issue for Eikhoff, 
Lefties are hitting 444 against him this year. And even with Jock Peterson out with an upset stomach, there were three lefties at the top of the Braves lineup, and they were on base five times in two innings, scoring four runs. Ozzie Albies, who is a weaker hitter left-handed, walked in the first, homered in the second. He leads the National League in extra base hits. It was 6-0 Atlanta right away. They got two in the first, two in the second, two in the third. Six runs in three innings after getting two and two games the night before. Mets got one back on a Pete Alonso RBI single, and the Mets would then run Eikhoff back out there for the fourth, even though he was, as the kids say, on the struggle bus. Now, you figured he'd just have to wear one in this game after the bullpen got stretched like taffy on Monday. And alas, it just didn't get much better for our man Jared. He was essentially trying to hold back an ocean with a spatula out there. The Braves are a solid offense, even without Acuna and Ozuna. Uh, They were not missing a trick in this game. And by the time Austin Riley drove a salami into the left field seats, it was quite apparent that Jared Eikhoff's face will not be getting carved into the side of Mount Rushmore anytime real soon. Mercifully, the struggle bus rolled to a stop after three and a third torturous innings. But by then, the poor dude's ERA for the year was up to 8.7. When he declared free agency three days ago, his ERA was 4.96. Then he told the Mets, sure, I'll come back and help you out for a night. And now his ERA is 8.7. Should have never answered the phone. Much easier to get your next gig when your agent says, yeah, of course my guy's got an ERA in the fours. I can deliver on that. No sweat. Eikhoff, unwittingly, the first starter in Mets history to allow 10 earned runs while getting only 10 outs. Calvin Schiraldi once had that happen as a reliever in that 26-7 debacle against the Phillies back in 85. Joe Sambito also gave up 10 runs as a reliever that night, but not all of them were earned. Anyway, Mets came back to within 10-3 on a Jeff McNeil home run, 14-game hitting streak for the Squirrel. He's got as many multi-hit games as David Wright did at this point in his career. But then another home run from Riley, second of the night, six ribeyes for him, 12-3 Atlanta in the sixth. Brandon Drury, a two-run homer for the Mets in the seventh, cut it to 12-5. That would be your final. To cheer you up, I hope, a quick reset of this 80 straight days in first place thing. Lately, the Mets have been without their $341 million superstar shortstop. They've been without their numbers one, two, and three starters in the rotation. No DeGrom, no Carrasco, no Syndergaard. Those last two have been absent all school year. The Mets rotation has pitched to a 4.2 ERA in the 16 games since DeGrom went down. That's eighth in the National League. That's mid-pack. But those guys are averaging just four innings in those starts. And that is going to fry your bullpen before too long. After the game, Luis Rojas met the media. Hey, Luis. You know, first of all, just with with everything that um, Jarrett's had to go through here over the last week, just how difficult of a spot is it to you know, try and, and get through for him. Yeah, it can be really hard. And uh, we, we saw it tonight. He, he, didn't, he didn't pitch the way that, that he can pitch. And I'm talking about command. Uh, is he a guy that induces contact? Yeah, he's a guy that will induce contact. And things like this are going to happen. But for just the walks, you know, he's, he was erratic with his command. So uh, you got to say that some of the things that he went through in the week and then to get signed again and uh, activated and brought, and brought here to uh, start the game. Uh, it can be hard, and you know the command wasn't there. Um, I mean, the homers are going to happen, but the walks—you uh, you add the walks to those homers, and that's what um, really got him open uh, at one point. I mean, we're looking to keep him there uh, on the, in the when we walk Freeman, right? And 
And that, that's when the game erupted with that grand slam that Riley hit because uh, we knew that we were very short on pitching. We didn't have a lot of guys available for tonight's game. We're trying to get through uh, maybe that fourth inning uh, with him and go on from there. But, you know, it just it wasn't the case. But the guys that came in did, did a good job to protect some of the guys that we didn't want to use tonight. Hey, Louis, this was obviously a tough spot for Eikhoff to be put in just because of the extreme nature of he's bounced around. Uh, but for you guys, I, I guess there really was no other option. That that's how extreme your pitching situation is right now. Yeah, we didn't we didn't have another option. We had the doubleheader yesterday. Game two, we didn't have an option, and uh, we we went more bullpen um, for that one. And our length guy was Banda, and we're in a situation where we're going to use the guys as seven, eighth, ninth inning, even though it's five, six, six, and seven. But that's how we play the seven inning games. And uh, he took us to today. And then the one guy that was in the horizon to uh, to start that game was Eikhoff, just looking at how everything plays since we DFA'd him. And he came in and he was ready to go for us. I mean, we couldn't ask anything else, else from the guy uh, in our front office, you know, to go and acquire somebody. So they found Eikhoff, came in, and, uh, you know, he just couldn't get it done like 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 he could, you know. Uh, He's a, he's a strike thrower. I seen him as a strike thrower, and he wasn't a strike thrower tonight. Maybe because all those things that he's gone through in the week uh, period, and uh, and then you know the the home runs added to the walks, like I just told Steve. But uh, that's that's the situation. Two TBDs in a row, and we put some guys in. We uh, win one, and we just lost one. You know, so we we run into some of those throughout the season, and I know the guys show up, and they until the last out, they're grinding and they're playing at their best just to go go ahead and uh, compete the way they, they, they always do. You never want to say never, but I guess with the with the deadline coming up and with guys getting healthy, is this going to – I don't want to say the bottom, but is this probably about as tough as a pitching spot you could be in looking ahead? You expect a much better situations coming along. Yes, yeah, looking ahead, uh, there's, there's no blank spot right now. Uh, there's names on each day. There's no TBDs. I know uh, we've been talking TBD tomorrow, TBD tomorrow, TBD game two. Uh, and, you know, right now there's there's names filling the spot days ahead, not just only the day before, the exact same day of the game. So, yeah, it feels better that way. Uh, we've run into a lot of tough situations this season, and, and I think everyone in here, from the front office to uh, the performance staff to the coaches to the players, like everyone's taking it the right way. All right, there's the skipper. Up next, two lefty starters for Atlanta in a row, Max Fried and Drew Smiley. And the Mets with a 626 OPS against lefty starters this year. That's 108 points worse than what they do against right-handed starters. So this will be a bit of a challenge. Hey, Atlanta's not going away, guys. This is an interesting team, even without Acuna and Ozuna. And they're getting Darno back soon. They're very aggressive. They swing at 36% of first pitches as a team. That's highest in baseball. They're only 24th in contact percentage, 74%. Houston, the only team above 77, and the Astros actually at 81%. Most teams out there are between 71 and 77. 10 years ago, only 10 years ago, 29 of 30 teams were above 77% for contact percentage. This year, it's one team. That is how baseball is changing. But basically, when the Braves hit it, they hit it hard. Only the Astros with a higher line drive percentage in the Braves. But again, the Astros are number one in contact, Atlanta number 24. And in terms of superstars, I got to tell you, it's tough to do better than Freddie Freeman. If you remember several years ago, it seemed like he was just a 
kind of a perfectly fine first baseman, nothing more. Between 2011 and 2015, Freeman hit 285, so-so power, no speed, average defense. He was a good player, made a couple all-star teams, but I don't know if he was any better than 10 or 12 other first basemen out there. He was not Joey Votto. He was not Paul Goldschmidt. He was not Anthony Rizzo. Uh, was not as good as Eric Hosmer then. But the thing that was easy to miss about him then is he was so young. Freeman played in more than 600 games before he turned 25. So by the time 2016 came around, most everybody figured they knew exactly who this guy was. But it turns out he was only just starting to come into his own. Since 2016, 307 hitter, massive doubles in home run power, MVP last year, MVP consideration the two years before that, and maybe the best first baseman in baseball right now, if it's not Vlad Guerrero Jr. Freeman and the Braves again coming up tonight, uh, coming up uh, also Thursday afternoon, remember. The game being played on Wednesday evening. We mentioned the lefty Max Freed for the visitors. Down year for him, four and a half ERA. For the Mets, it's McGill on the hill. What a godsend he's been. The eighth round pick, not a top 20 prospect in the organization, but an ERA of 2.1. Thank you. Then Friday, the Reds are coming in, and yeah, the black uniforms make their comeback, and the first 12,000 fans get a black Lindor jersey t-shirt. It's the other former Cleveland player imported for this year, Carlos Carrasco, who will finally be on the mound as a Met that night. He'll become the 17th different starting pitcher in these first 100 games or so. The last rehab start for Carlos went brilliantly, so now it's time to take off the bubble wrap and just go. Saturday, another 7-10 first pitch against Cincinnati. That'll be Stroman or Hill. And before the first pitch, remember the Mets Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Ron Darling, John Matlack, and Edgardo Alfonso. Now, some of you younger Met fans may not remember Matlack, who was a lefty starter. Wasn't real flashy, but always got it done. He was a third wheel behind Seaver and Kuzman in the Mets rotation. But a, just a heck of a talent. Fourth overall pick in the 67 draft. He was an All-Star three times, shared MVP honors uh, in an All-Star game in 1975 with Bill Madlock. Career ERA as a Met was 3.03, second deceiver before DeGrom showed up. But his career Mets record just 82-81, and 81, never got any run support. Fans of that era will remember he was hit in the forehead by a Marty Perez liner in a game against the Braves at Shea back in 1974. Very scary, but... He had the all-time best Shea Stadium ERA by a Met among starters, better than Seavers, better than Sid Fernandez, better than Doc Good. Ron Darling, I don't need to tell you much about Ronnie, do I? The dashing Yale Bulldog. Even though he led the league in walks in 85, he was 16-6, and six, then went 15-6 and six the next year, started three times in the 86 World Series. All of that, a tremendous athlete, threw to bases perfectly, one of the best pickoff moves of all time from a right-hander. Uh, you guys don't need me to tell you about Ronnie. We'll save the Eduardo Alfonso talk till tomorrow's podcast, but just so you know, Jay Horwitz, the great Jay Horwitz, Mets historian, will have all three of those guys on his Mets alumni podcast. Hope you'll check that out because it should be great. All right, a couple more items before we say goodbye. I want to talk Michael Conforto for a minute, one of my favorite Mets. Very easy to talk to, super chill, really bright. And expected to be a pillar of the offense, or is that now pronounced Pilar, uh, in honor of the other Mets outfielder from West Coast College. Uh, I think this was always going to be an important season for Conforto, because he can become a free agent at the end of the year at 28. Entering the year, 
I think he was a top-of-the-free-agent outfield class with Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, Starling Marte, maybe Tommy Pham. A lot of people in the industry looked at George Springer's deal, the six-year, $150 million deal he got with the Blue Jays, as kind of the floor, is what Conforto might be able to expect as a free agent. Now, of course, you got to recalibrate. Into the game Tuesday night, 202 at-bats this year for Conforto, the exact same total as what he ended up with the year before, so that makes it easy to compare some things. Last year, 40 runs scored, this year, 20. Last year, 65 hits, this year, 41. And now the biggies. Last year's OPS, 927, higher than Bryce Harper's. This year, 670, not as high as Ahmed Rosario's. It sure looked like with that ninth inning home run to cap the comeback in Pittsburgh, he was finally off the shoulder of the highway and back on the road. But now the hazard lights are flashing red again. He was two for his last 23 going into last night. Did go two for four to get up to a 209 batting average again. But I thought 309 this year, not 209. Is it being late on the fastball? Last year's batting average against fastballs was about 330. This year it's 180. Is it that he's too pull-happy this year? Percentage of balls hit the other way. Last year was 32%. This year it's only 20. Is it that last year's BABIP was just not sustainable into this year? Last year it was 412, highest of any outfielder in the majors. Bottom line is it's not too late for a U-turn. Maybe not all the way back to that 927 OPS of a season ago, but of all the wooden planks falling out from under the manager's feet as he tries to cross this rickety bridge, I did not expect Conforto hitting 209 to be one of those falling planks. If he can get himself back together, man, that would help here down the stretch whether or not you bring in a bat. Oh, which leads us to the final item on the podcast, trade talk. Who's part of the cavalry coming in? Here's how I think the Mets are looking at this. I'm going to put it to you this way. If they can get a major upgrade for the lineup, a Bryant, a Baez, a Story, terrific. But they're not going to settle for a slap single with a hitting acquisition. It's either a home run or nothing. Starting pitching is very different. I think the Mets are more likely to try and just make some contact, so to speak. No big swing because there is no Randy Johnson this year. There is no Cliff Lee of 10 years ago. Yeah, there's Max Scherzer possibly, but the word was uh, he doesn't want to come to New York and the Nets don't want to trade him to New York. One or two experienced bodies like Rich Hill, that's what I see for pitching. You you load up on B or B minus guys because remember, there's no waiver thing through August 31st anymore. Whoever you have on your team this coming weekend, that's it. That's your ride and die group the rest of the way. You're not adding pieces. So what if Carrasco isn't right when he comes back? What if Syndergaard doesn't get back this year? What if someone else gets hurt? I mean, I'm knocking wood that it doesn't happen, but I think right now the idea is to buy in bulk and stock your pantry. This is a Costco run. You're not inspecting produce at a Whole Foods. You just don't have time to do that. I think a guy like the, the Pirates lefty starter Tyler Anderson, who was reportedly off to the Phillies instead of the Mets, kind of a low-risk rental, that's the kind of guy the Mets are going to be looking to get. And again, maybe more than just one. And uh, you can't win September with a bunch of TBAs and bullpen games listed on the schedule. I think the Mets are painfully aware of that. All right, music's up. Guess we got to go. Sorry we didn't have a better outcome to tell you about, but I I don't control that part. We will stop down to thank the Mets in the Morning House Band. I was only going to do this after wins originally, but this seems to be taking on a life of its own here. So, 
on keyboards, Jose Valentin. Slapping the bass, Chuck Carr. The horn section, give it up for Pete Hornish. And kicking out the downbeat on the drums, Frank Catalanato. This is Josh Lewin. Let's meet here again tomorrow, huh? Again, the final from Tuesday at City Field. It was the Braves 12 and the Mets 5. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.